So you know how uh, there are certain questions that uh, we like to ask each other. Uh, Perhaps there are questions that we ask of ourselves. And sometimes we think to ourselves afterwards, well, why did we bother asking a question like that? There's all sorts of questions that fall into that category. In England, when house prices were sort of like rocketing, people would ask the question and say, well, you know, how much is your house worth? Well, what value is it knowing how much your house is worth, knowing that you've got to buy another one if you're going to move? You know, it's one of those things. But it's good to know, and we often uh, like to think of these sorts of questions. Now, here's one. Perhaps you can help me. A baby is born, and people want to know how heavy it is. Now, you know, for the best will in the world, I just can't understand what's so important about wanting to know how heavy the baby is. Yes, you want to know if it's a little boy or a little girl, uh, and you want to check everything's gone well, but why the weight, you know? And some of us who have trouble working out pounds and kilos, and you're really confused as to what's going on here. But it's so funny how immediately people will say, so what's the weight of uh, the baby? And you're thinking to yourself, so what's that really got to do with everything? Uh, Now, our lads, when they were out uh, distributing tracts and leaflets, uh, one of the little leaflets that they passed out was entitled, Faith is for Weak People, okay? And uh, that should get you thinking to yourself, what is this all about? And then inside the little tract are a series of questions that people ask. Here's one. Religions cause the most wars in the world. (laughs) Okay, religions calls the most wars in the world. Suffering proves there's no God. A lot of people think that. You know, how could a God, if you, if you say God loves me, how could you possibly say that God allows suffering? You know, we've just gone through our prayer requests, haven't we? Why would ever a little girl be put through this condition that, uh, that Haley has? There's no evidence for God. The church is filled with hypocrites. These are statements or questions. God wouldn't create hell, would he? God won't send me to hell for failing to believe in something I can't see or hear, touch. There's no proof that Jesus even existed. What's the date today? The 8th of May 2022. Interesting. Indeed. (laughs) There are atrocities in the Bible. I'm happy as I am. I have no need for God. And questions are things that are being asked all the time. And when we come to the scriptures, we discover that there are a number of questions which are very, very important for us to look at. And to consider. In fact, some of them are so important that they affect the whole of our eternity. And so one of the questions that we have seen here in Psalm 8 as uh, we have read it together was very simply this. What is man? What is man that God is mindful of him? So keep your Bibles, uh, your finger open in uh, Psalm 8 because we'll refer to it as we go through uh, during the course of our time this evening. I would suggest to you that that is the, most, the second most important question. 
And I'm going to tell you that the very most important question that we face and that we should be asking in our lives is this. Who is Christ? Because that question determines everything in your life. And how you answer it is so vital. Who is Christ? What do you think about the Christ, we're told in Matthew 22, verse 42? This is life's most important question. And if you sit there this evening, and I can see everybody, you know, you can't necessarily see each other, but I can see you. And if you sit there this evening, and you're not interested in this question, then that tells me a great deal about you. It tells yourself a great deal about you. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself that Jesus Christ, I believe in Jesus Christ. He was a good man. Uh, There is some evidence that there was a man called Jesus that lived. We know that in secular history, there are references to Jesus Christ. So that particular question is somewhat weak if we were to say, well, there's no evidence that Jesus existed. Yes, there was. But the evidence that I have concerning him is very simply that he was a good man, just like we get people like Mother Teresa. You know, she did so much for people in Calcutta, in India. Nobody could knock her for not being good and kind and generous. And maybe you've got a friend, and that friend is somebody that you trust and that you've appreciated. And when you needed help, they were there. But is that all you think Jesus was? We spoke on this a little bit this morning as well. Yes, a good man, a good teacher, a good example, a good prophet. But he couldn't save us. And if that's how you think of him, then he's not the son of God to you. And the outworking of that, from what the Bible tells us, is that for all eternity, you are lost. You are separated from God. You do not know peace with God. And this evening I would implore you with all the love in my heart, and I know other people in this fellowship would do exactly the same. I would implore you to bow down before Jesus Christ and to say from your heart and to mean it with every fiber in your being to say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my God. Because it is only he that can save me. It is only he that has the qualification to do so. It is only he that has the power to do so. Because at the moment, you're on the road leading to destruction. At the moment, you are walking away from God. You're turning your back on him. And it's a terrible thing to do that. Particularly when you have been privileged to know and to hear the truth. And there are some people in this fellowship, in this church this evening, that for the whole of their life they have heard this message. They have been able to read the scriptures. And to read the scriptures again. And again. And yet, tonight... The evidence suggests that you have walked away, that you have turned your back on God. And that means that you are heading for what the Bible calls destruction. So life's most important question, who is Christ? Life's second most important question is, what is man? Because now when we begin to understand this question, 
It helps us to understand ourselves. It helps us to understand who Jesus is. It helps us to understand what it is that we need in our hearts and lives this evening. Now this tells us something incredible about ourselves. It tells us something about the human race. It tells you something about you and me. It tells us that we, wait for it, man, and of course by that we include men and women, must have been mightily important to God because God asked that question, who is man that we are mindful of him? In fact, it's so important that we discover that God left his throne in heaven and he came down in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born into this world. He came to save sinners, the scriptures tell us, so we know what the mission was. And then we understand, we read, we know, we acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for men and women and for boys and girls. And Psalm 8 in verse 4 asks the question, What is man? What is man? Well, to try and answer this question, we could go to the library here in Norwich and we could talk to Beverly. uh, Have you ever been to a library and you want to get a book out and you're confronted with this system? How do you find a book? You know, is it alphabetical or is it under author or, or what is it? And you think to yourself, and you need help. So you go to Beverly and you ask her to try and help you and she fiddles around on a computer and comes up with an answer for you. But what we could do is to go to the library and we could look at some books to try and help us. And we could consult a great Briton by the name of Charles Darwin. Now, does everybody know a book that Charles Darwin wrote? It was entitled The Origin of Species. Okay? He wrote several others as well, which were just as bad. But we could go to Charles Darwin and we could try and start to read his book and we could begin to understand what is man, we could ask him. And Charles Darwin would tell us that man is an evolving animal. Okay, Uh, We originally crawled out of the sea and eventually, I don't know, became some sort of monkey and we evolved into who we are. I remember, and I've told you this story before, but I was in China, and I said to the guy who was taking me to a different place, I said, any chance you could take us to a church? And I'd seen a church from the hotel window across on the building. And uh, he didn't say anything else. He just looked at me, and he said, so you don't believe we came from monkeys then? And that was the first thing he said. It wasn't anything else, and I've always remembered that because it was so fascinating as to what it was. So if we found the book down at the library, um, Charles Darwin, he would say that we're evolving animals. And then if we'd go a few sections along, perhaps we could come along uh, an area called Sigmund Freud. Does that name mean anything to you? He's written lots and lots of books. They're really clever books, and I can't read many of them because I can't understand a word the man is saying. But he tells us this. He says, men, women, we're all frustrated children. That's it. Okay? All your problems stem from your childhood. Well, it's true, quite a lot do. But the truth is, is that that's the level that we're reduced to. And then uh, we could move to the other side of the library into the political section. Um... And if you go to Highgate Cemetery in London, you can still visit the tomb of Karl Marx. Does everybody know who Karl Marx was? He wrote the Communist Manifesto. It was his ideas that uh, uh, made or formed the Soviet Union and all the problems that we have seen where communism comes in and uh, we, we see that religion 
is thrown out. People are not to have religion. And uh, the, the, the economic system is controlled and everything happens. So as we begin to ask this question, what is man? And we look at the writings that we see from different people. We discover that Karl Marx simply wrote that first manifesto. And he tells us that all man is, is just an economic factor. All you are is a number on a balance sheet. That's it. Did you know there's a relationship between the population of a country and what a country can borrow? Because that correlation is, is that if you haven't got very many people, you can't borrow a lot of money because how are you going to earn enough to pay it all back? And so there's a correlation between who we are and we're reduced to that. But here in Psalm 8, what does God say about man? It's fascinating. It's also terribly, terribly disappointing when we consider the position that we're in now. What does God say about man? Well, it is absolutely staggering what God says about us. In fact, it's almost beyond belief what God says about man. God surpasses anything any man could ever say about man. And I ask the question, why? And perhaps you do as well. Can you believe that in Psalm 8, God says, what is man? And then God answers the question by saying, man is a king. Because that's what he's saying here in Psalm 8. Now that blows my mind away. The second part of verse 5. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. The second part of, uh, of, part of uh, verse 6. You have put all things under his feet. Glory and honor. Thou has put all things under his feet. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. God made and created the world and he put man over it. And then you look at me, you look at yourself, you look at us. And your mind's beginning to think there's something not right here. Because today man is living like a slave. Not a king. Men and women are not living as God ever intended them to live. Men and women are living like slaves. We're in bondage. Instead of having all things under his feet, man is under the feet of all things. We see this every single day. And up and down the streets of our towns and cities... And even here in Norwich, people are frustrated. They're broken. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're brokenhearted. They're lonely. And they're frightened. And they're scared. And they're feeling lost. Why do they feel lost? Because they are lost. Life has become so meaningless. Life is so empty. If you go to big cities and you walk up and down the streets and you see bars and you see lonely people sat peering into a glass or a bottle trying to deaden the pain of the life that they have with alcohol. Drug abuse in our country is unbelievable. Families torn apart destroyed because of these things. 
And all of this brings a sense of worthlessness. We're devalued. And God says, you're not supposed to be living like that. You're not supposed to be living in that state. You're not supposed to be afraid. You're not supposed to be lonely. You're not supposed to be dependent upon drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography and violence. That, that, that's not how you're supposed to be living. That's not how I want you to live. He says, I've made you a king. And you should live like one. Now I want us to understand this evening more about the kingship of man. You and I are supposed to be living like kings. And if one person here this evening says, Pastor, I'm not living like a king, then I'm talking to you. But as I, as I look around, I fear there's more than just one person that feels that way. I suspect most of us do. Now, I suspect we could confess of some area in our life in which we know for certain that we're not living as a king. Now, in order to understand the kingship of man, we have to be introduced to three kings that are in Psalm 8. And we're only going to have time to look at the first one this evening, and we'll look at the other two, God willing, next week. It might be over a two-week period but we shall see how it goes. So the first one that we're going to look at um, this evening and then the other two we will look at next Sunday evening or possibly the next two Sunday evenings. Now please note that the kings we are meeting are not the three kings of the Orient are. Okay? So you can forget that carol for a start. Nothing to do with that whatsoever. Nothing to do with the three kings that brought gifts to the Lord Jesus. And I want you to listen to these three kings. And what we're going to do is, in a sense, invite them in one by one and talk to them and hear what they have to say to us. And I want you to hear what they have to say because if we understand what these three kings have to say to us, then we will understand how we can live as kings. We don't have to go back to the same frustrations and the same defeats. God knows how many of those we have had in our lives, and some people are struggling to get over them. The defeats they have faced continue to badger them right the way through the rest of their life, and that's not how it should be. Three kings, and each of these kings has a message for us. So king number one this evening, I want to ask him to come in and to join us, and uh, we can use our imaginations, and he's stood over here somewhere, and we can talk to him. And of course, king number one is King Adam. We need to interview him, and we need to talk to him. We need to find out what he is. It's interesting that when people are asked who was the first king that was mentioned in the Bible, invariably they say Saul. But that's not correct. The first king in the Bible is King Adam. You see, Psalm 8 is based on Genesis chapter 1. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 just to make sure we understand exactly what's going on here. And we see that God made and crowned the first king. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he male and female, created he them, and God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, fill up the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living creature that moves on the earth. Now, King Adam says this to us today. He says, God the Father created us to be kings. Now, lay hold of that for a moment. We are not the product of evolution. Absolutely not. God created us. We aren't animals. Although there are times that some of us seem to behave in a way that even animals don't seem to manage to behave. We are created in the image of God. And this business of being created in the image of God is absolutely unbelievable for us to to really comprehend and to understand. And sometimes we take this for granted. We take it so easily. We don't think about the implications of what it is that God so loved us. He created us in his image. And as we were looking at the encounters of various people in the Old Testament scriptures that they had with the Lord Jesus Christ, they all recognized Jesus. Because there was that physical similarity that was presented there. Now it doesn't mean that God looks like me or you. So we haven't got to worry about that for a moment. It means that reflected in my personality is the personality of God. Somewhere there it is. That reflection. That glint. God has a mind to think with. And he gave King Adam a mind. And God has a heart to feel with. And he gave King Adam a heart. And God has a will to decide with. And he gave King Adam a will. He made a person out of him. Made in the image of God. And so Adam says to us, God the Father created us to be kings. Created, not evolved. Created in the image of God, not just an animal created for God's glory. So important that we understand this. Not for his own selfish purposes. Created to be God's representative ruler on the earth. God took a crown, as it were. And he put the crown on Adam's head. And he said, I'm crowning you as my representative on earth. And then God blessed him. Now when you and I uh, walk down the street, or we read a newspaper, or perhaps we watch uh, television, we shake our heads, don't we? Because the truth is, we don't see very many kings walking down the street. Even when we come to church, sometimes we struggle to see kings sat in our churches. Because we know what people are like. You mean God created man? Man is not an animal? Are you sure? Because it seems that man acts like an animal a lot of the time. His behavior is atrocious. The way we treat other people. The way children are abused in our societies. Babies aborted. 
the one place that they should be safe. And they're ripped out. And we can't understand all that's going on. Wars that take place. 60 people die in a church basement or a school basement, I think, in the Ukraine just yesterday as a missile comes in and takes it out. People who are hungry in places in the world. Whole villages without food. And there's more than enough food in India alone to feed the entire world, let alone Canada's contribution to the exercise. The fact of the matter is, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth are better behaved so often than man is. So another question is, what's happened? What's gone wrong? What's changed? Well, King Adam, you've got the story, so tell it to us. So if we turn to uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 for a moment, uh, so please uh, do that if you... uh, if you would, Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> you see, Adam was created by God. Adam was created in God's image. Adam was created for God's glory. Adam was created as God's ruler. And I suppose that when we read a passage like the one that we have from Hebrews or indeed from Psalm 8, some of us don't like it. You have made him a little lower than the angels. Well, this was come as a shock to you, but in the Hebrew, the word used is Elohim. So the translation would be more accurate to say... You have made him a little lower than God. Now do you see the importance of who we are to God? God. And so I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror. And I say, you know, you were made a little lower than God. So what's happened? Well, Romans 5 tells us. You see, friends, when God put a crown on Adam's head, he said, I am giving you authority. But you don't have the right to rule others unless you can rule yourself. I'm going to give you a test to see if you can rule yourself. Nobody has a right to have authority unless he's under authority. And God the Father says, I have made you. I have created you to be a king. If you're under my authority, you will reign with glory and honor. But Adam, if you're not under my authority, it's going to end in trouble. And so God gave Adam a very simple test. Romans chapter 5. Let's begin at verse 17. For if by the one man's offense, that's King Adam, death reigned through the one, how much more those who receive abundance of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? He's saying, King Adam, what happened to your dominion? And King Adam says, I lost it. He's saying, King Adam, what happened to your crown? And King Adam says, I lost it. He's saying, King Adam, what happened to your glory? And King Adam looks at him and he says, I lost it. King Adam, what happened to God's image? And he says, I marred it. I spoiled it. How did you do this? King Adam, tell us, how did you do this? And King Adam says, I sinned. And that was the result. Friends, God the Father created us to be kings. But the first man abdicated his throne because he wanted to be God. Satan came along and said to Adam and Eve, oh, you should be as gods. Eve listened to it and told Adam and they sinned. And so the first man created to be a king became a slave. And now today, that precious little baby born into that family is born in bondage to sin. And all across this world are some seven or eight billion people whom God the Father created to be kings and yet they have inherited the first king, Adam. From him the bondage and slavery of sin. God the Father created us to be kings and sad to say we're not kings today. We're all slaves. And the image of God has been marred by sin, has been spoiled by sin. And the mind doesn't think God's thoughts. And the heart doesn't love what God loves. And the will is stubborn against God. So what's to be done about this situation? What would God do to rescue his creation? To rescue the people created in his image. Whom he loved and continues to love. Well, next week we're going to meet King Jesus. And the very first question poised in the New Testament is, where is he that was born king. You see, whilst the question, what is man, is the second most important question in the Bible, the most important question remains, what do you think about the Christ? And how you answer this question determines whether you remain a slave because you were born a slave to sin or not. We spoke of it this morning, Romans 8 and verse 1 states, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, 
So if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're condemned. So perhaps the most important question that you have to ask yourself is, am I in Christ Jesus? Or do you just think you're in Christ Jesus? Do you just think that because you were born in a Christian family, your parents took you to church, you grew up in Sunday school, you sat through hours and hours and hours of church, that all that has made you a savior, made you to be saved? Do you think that just being in Christ Jesus is because you're dependent upon what the pastor says or what your parents say or your grandparents or whatever it is? I'm in Jesus because they're in Jesus. No, it's not how it works. If you are not in Christ Jesus yourself, then you're condemned. Your slavery to sin will keep you in condemnation, which means death. You are spiritually dead now. This is what God's word tells us. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So how do we become in Christ? How are we saved from the condemnation that the Bible tells us we face, as we saw this morning so clearly, when our Lord ascended back into heaven, what that means for the world is condemnation. What do we do? It's actually very simple. We do what the Bible tells us to do. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart, one believes and is justified.